Hey everybody, we're inching closer to Christmas. Come on, can you feel it? I'm excited for Christmas time here at church. We get to celebrate Jesus, get to celebrate with your families, and I'm praying for a blessed season coming up. And we're coming towards the end of the year, and we have just started a brand new series, which we're going to continue into the new year called authors, right? I'm excited. I'm so excited about this because the Bible is often quite difficult for us to understand, quite hard. I don't know if you've ever felt this way, but I know I have. And I know that I've struggled over my life to really understand what the Bible is all about. But you know that even though it's difficult to read sometimes or hard to understand, it is the most useful, the most powerful, and the most beautiful piece of literature that humanity has ever created. It is beautiful. It's life-changing. It's the Word of God, and He wants you to be confident when you read it. Come on, but if you're like me, sometimes you're not so confident when you read it. You read things, and they don't quite make sense. That's what this series is all about. We are exploring some of the authors of the New Testament, who they were and why they wrote what they wrote, all with the goal of understanding God's Word in a deeper way. Last week, we opened up the first of two of Jesus' brothers. We spoke about Judah, who is called Jude in our Bibles, but he is, his name is actually Judah. And today we're exploring the other brother. His name is James. So if you're excited, if you're ready to get into the Word and to understand it and know it a bit better, and come on, post amen in the chat. Get involved, church. Come on, let's pray as we open up. Father, we ask you this morning that you would come and move in us, come and speak to us, come and give us that understanding of who you are, what your word is all about. We want to read it with confidence. We want to know what you are saying to us. And so today, we ask that your spirit would come and move and speak to us, teach us and grow us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Come on, if you're ready, let's get to it. Interestingly enough, last week we spoke about Jude, uh, that his name is actually Judah, even though we know it as Jude, the translation becomes Jude, but his name is actually Judah. And something similar is actually happening with James as well. I remember years back, going through an Afrikaans Bible. Now, I'm not Afrikaans. I haven't grown up Afrikaans. I'm very English, and I studied Afrikaans, and I can speak it a little bit, but I'm not very, very um, fluent in that sense in Afrikaans. But when I opened up this, this Bible, uh, I wanted to look at the book of James, and I couldn't find it. I couldn't find the book of James anywhere. And I remember saying, why is this Bible different? And then I saw there was a book called Jacobus. And I thought to myself, but that's the word Jacob. And that is the book of James. If you look in Afrikaans Bibles, the letter from James is known as Jacobus. Why is that? Because James' actual name is Jacob. Now, translations have got it into us as the name James, but in fact, it's actually Jacob. And you can see these are very Hebrew names. This is Jesus' family, Jesus and Jacob, 
and Judah, son of Joseph. These are all Hebrew, amazing, beautiful biblical names. And this is who James is. His name is Jacob. And that's exactly what we're going to call him. We're going to call him Jacob. Jacob was not a believer in Jesus while Jesus was ministering. That's the funniest part about all of these things is that Judah and Jacob, they didn't believe in their brother Jesus. And I can imagine, I mean, growing up with Jesus, right? Uh, would you believe that your sibling is the son of God? You know what I'm saying? And they needed time and they needed to work through stuff in order to get to a place where they believed in Jesus. And in fact, it was actually after Jesus' resurrection. Jacob is actually known as one of the, the people who saw Jesus after his resurrection. And it's possible that this is the moment where Jacob began to believe in his brother, Jesus. But Jacob was not a disciple. And even though he was not a disciple, he became one of the most prominent leaders in the early church. The church in the very first collective of believers, the church in Jerusalem. He became the pillar of that church. And that's so interesting to me that he didn't believe in Jesus, but he becomes the center point of the Jerusalem church. That is amazing. And you know, the language in this letter is actually the closest. It mimics the language of Jesus the most out of any other writing in the New Testament. That's huge. And it's understandable. I mean, if Jacob grew up with Jesus, then he would sound like him. And he quotes especially the Sermon on the Mount all the time. He references it all the time. And so if you want to know what Jesus sounded like, read the book of James. Read Jacob's writings because that's what Jesus sounded like. They are very similar to each other. So let's then, with this understanding, dig into what this letter is all about. That's who Jacob was. Now we got to see why he wrote what he wrote. Jacob's target audience was Jewish Christians living outside of Israel. So he ministered in Jerusalem to Jewish Christians. He ministered to Gentile Christians there in Jerusalem. But this writing was specifically designated for those who he could not reach physically. He sent this letter out specifically to Jewish Christians living outside of Israel. These believers in Jesus would have grown up knowing and following the ins and outs of Jewish religious law, the law of Moses. And so Jacob assumes an understanding of the law of Moses. He understands that his readers, the people who are going to read this letter, understand the law, just like Judah did. You can see there's some similarities between these brothers. And again, it's important for you and I, when we're reading it, to understand this, that we might not have the full understanding that the readers did but we can still understand and eat of this beautiful word that God has given us. And the structure of Jacob's letter is actually the most interesting part because it's not really a letter. It's not addressed 
to anyone specific. It doesn't deal with one specific issue. There's no greeting, there's no, there's no exit, there's no conclusion. It's not a letter like maybe Paul or even John would have written. It's not really a letter. So what was it? What was he trying to do? Jacob wanted to boil down all of his wisdom and all of his experience into one letter that could be given to any collective of believers going forward through the generations. His writing is less like a letter to someone and more like the book of Proverbs. Check that out. I don't know if you've ever seen or understood this. The book of James or Jacob's writings are less like a letter and more like the book of Proverbs, a collection of short topical teachings that all stand on their own. Wow, that's amazing. I mean, think about that. A letter flows through and one idea leads into the next, into the next, to a conclusion. But that's not how this book works. And if you read it like that, you're going to get lost. You have to read it like the book of Proverbs. It's full of one-liners. It's full of memorable verses because he wanted to take his experience and his wisdom and give it out. His goal was not to teach theology. This is huge. Of course, he's talking about God and there's theology in his works, but his goal was not to write a theological writing, but he wanted to challenge the way Christians live their lives, building on a shared knowledge and understanding of Jesus' unconditional grace. This is where Jacob comes in. He wants to teach Christians how to live. He wants to challenge you and me on the way that we live, the way that we think, the things that we do. He, he just assumes that we believe in Jesus and that we are saved by grace. Now, once that is done, how do we live? That's what Jacob is all about. And something that we need to note as we read in this book is that the early church and even Jacob himself had to suffer through many persecutions and even a famine in the land that stripped people of their wealth and their abundance. You know, this was longevity. Jacob ministered in the Jerusalem church for many years and they went through the ups and downs that you might imagine. But these persecutions and especially this this deep famine that they went through had created big divisions between those that have and those that don't have. Now here in South Africa, we can understand that. We can look out into our nation and see a huge inequality gap between those that have and those that don't. And we know firsthand that that kind of society breeds people who need to survive. That can't think so much about others, but have to think about themselves on how to make it through the day. And so in the same way, Jacob is addressing this community to say, listen, you can't just think about yourself. You need to think about others. You have to challenge the way you live because this world is trying to push you into a way of living that's not Christ-like. But we need to give our lives and every part of ourselves to following Jesus the way that he wants us to live. 
And it's the same with us today. When we live in a society that generates greed, that generates crime, that generates difficulty and challenge, we have to choose how we want to live despite the circumstances. And that's tough. But that's what Jacob is challenging in his writing. So here's the big idea. Come on, church, track with me this morning. Here's the big idea. You need to read James like you read Proverbs, wisdom statements that stand alone. And I'd like to explore just one of these ideas so that you and I can start to understand how to read James properly, how to read Jacob's writings in the correct understanding. And this, this one wisdom statement is actually quite controversial. It's a controversial thing. It actually divides and separates people on theological lines. Sounds intense, right? Well, I hope I've got your attention. I know that this talk today is going to be a little bit theology heavy. It's a little bit Bible heavy, but I promise you, it's the goal that we have right now is that we might understand who these people were better, these authors of the New Testament, so that when we read, it's meaningful. It comes in and it changes the way that we are. And so if you've got your Bibles with you, I want to read James chapter 2, verse 24. Let's read together. It says this. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. Now you might look at that and say, well, okay, I don't get what the big idea, what's so controversial about that statement? Well, in fact, it actually seems to contradict Paul very directly. Because if you read in Romans chapter 3, verse 28, this is a writing of Paul. And in fact, if you read all through Paul's writings, you find it numerous times all through his writings. He says this, for we maintain that a person is justified by faith alone, apart from the works of the law. It would seem to be that Paul is saying we are made righteous by our faith in Jesus alone. But James is saying we are not made righteous by faith alone, but by works. Paul, faith and no works. James, no faith works, right? That's, that's how it, it seems to work. But we're going to explore this a little bit. What's the difference? Why are these two scriptures at such odds with each other? And the answer is actually simpler than you imagine. We have to track back and remember why Jacob is writing this letter. His goal is not to teach us theology. He's not trying to explain how God works. He's trying to teach us how to live. On the contrary, Paul very expressly is trying to teach us theology. Paul was an academic. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews. Before he was saved, he was a Pharisee, a teacher of the law. He was an academic. He was like a professor. He was a smart, smart guy. And he, his interest was in teaching us the deep spiritual matters, how things work and why they work the way that they work. But Jacob is not interested in that. He wants to get in your business and teach you how to live. That is the difference between these two statements. Jacob is not teaching us theology. He's teaching us wisdom, how to live wisely. 
He's not trying to teach us how to be saved, but to help us understand that in this life, it's not just our words that count, but our actions that count too. Our beliefs need to influence the way that we treat people, the way that we act, the way that we think. And if we don't see the way that we are starting to change, it shows us what we believe. Paul, on the other hand, is trying to teach us theology about what happens to the Spirit when our faith is placed in Jesus, how we are reconnected to God. That's a whole different thing. But this stand-alone wisdom statement is James' way of telling us it's not just about what you say. It's not just about what you think you believe but what you do that counts. And come on, that is such wisdom for every one of us. Come on, as the church, we are so quick to tell people what they should believe. We're so quick to judge other people for what they do, but judge ourselves on what we believe. That's the age-old statement. We, we judge others on their actions, but we judge ourselves on our intentions. And James is trying to say, come on, it's not just about what you believe, but about what you do. If you want to see what Jacob is really trying to say, we can just carry on reading. We read verse 24. Let's go on from verse 25. It says this. In the same way, was not Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. Now, Jacob is looking back to a story of the Israelites and the city of Jericho and Rahab helping out spies who are sent into the land to try and, and find out what's going on in the land. He's, he's talking again about a story that all of his target audience will know inside and out. It's part of the fundamental birth of the nation of Israel. You and I, and especially those who didn't grow up in church, would never know what he's talking about. Who's Rahab, the prostitute? What are you going on about? Come on, context is everything. But his target audience knew the story. And what's important about the story is that Rahab is a prostitute. You can look into her life and find many deeds that could be considered unrighteous, sinful things. And we can talk about how she might have been forced into that life, like maybe it wasn't a choice. But regardless of anything, in your and my life and in Rahab's life, there were many deeds, there are many deeds that we do, things that we think, things that we do that are not righteous, that could be considered sinful. Yet Rahab is considered righteous because her deeds in relation to the spies are directed by her faith. She believes in God. And so because of that belief in God, she treats the spies with kindness and she aids them. And it's shown that she is righteous because of what she did. She didn't just believe in God. She didn't just talk the talk but she walked out her talk. She did what she believed. This is what James is trying to get to. This is what Jacob is trying to say. It's the same for you and for me. 
Jacob is not trying to make us scared or worried that we might lose our salvation, that we might not be righteous or we might not be saved because we're not perfect. That's not what Jacob was trying to say. What he's trying to say is that we have to watch what we do. That when we believe in Christ, our actions need to change. Our mindsets need to change. And especially in a society that makes it difficult to think about others outside of yourself, we have to make the choice to live righteously, to live the way that Jesus lived by taking care of the poor, by giving of ourselves to others, by being good-tempered and good-natured, by choosing righteous living that glorifies God and touches and changes the world around us, rather than just saying we're a Christian and going to church on Sunday, but we actually got to live out what we believe. That is what he is talking about. We can't just judge others based on their deeds but we need to look at ourselves, our own intentions. We need to look at others' intentions, our own heart, our own thoughts, and continue to surrender every one of our thoughts and actions to the Spirit so that we might grow up and become more mature in every aspect of our lives. Come on. Jacob is trying to grow up the church. Come on. We got to grow up. We got to mature. We got to hold ourselves accountable for what we do. But all of that is based on a shared understanding that grace is unconditional and it's a gift from Jesus through our faith alone. Check it out. Our souls are secure in salvation through our faith alone. Come on, Jacob. He lines up with Paul. He lines fully up that our faith alone in Jesus is what saves us but that faith is displayed through our actions. Jesus' blood is the only thing that can save us. And as we walk out our journey with God, he causes us to grow through his grace. He teaches us, he grows us up, he molds us, he changes us from the inside out. The way we think and the things that we do begin to change because of our relationship with God. But we also need to choose to keep growing. Come on, you and I, today we need to choose to keep growing, allowing our works, our thoughts, our actions to line up with what we believe. If you read James chapter 2, just as is, without this understanding, you'll think that you're going to lose your salvation every time you do something wrong. But when you understand that this wisdom statement stands alone. You can read it for what it really is. And the same thing occurs throughout the rest of Jacob's writing. This book called the book of James, this letter he wrote. As we explore it, as we read it, it begins to teach us the wisdom that he gained over years of ministry. And every one of them can be applied to us. He's not trying to teach you theology. He's trying to help you live like Christ. And that's awesome. So this is Jacob's intent in chapter two. And the same heart flows throughout all of his wisdom writings, helping us to mature as believers. So I'm saying to you today that this idea needs to guide you. 
We've explored this little bit of an idea, and I pray that it's challenged you. But also pray that it's inspired you maybe to go into the book of James this week and begin to read what he says, to see those page breaks and those moments when an idea changes and shifts to something new, to treat it as its own thing, to treat it just like the Proverbs, like a wisdom statement, to understand what he's trying to say in that moment and apply it to your life. As you do that, you're going to grow up. You see, Jacob was interested in you and me growing up, maturing, and becoming who God wants us to be. Because God has built you to be powerful, to be wise, to be influential. He has made us to be leaders. He has made us to impact this world that we live in. He has made us to bring glory to his name. He doesn't want you to stay where you are, but he wants you to grow up. He wants you to mature. He wants you to become all he's made you to be. Come on, let yourself be lifted to that standard. Let yourself be lifted up into God has called you to be. He loves you. He's got a plan for you. And today, as we bring this sermon to a close, I want to take a minute just to pray for every one of us who wants more maturity. I think that's every single one of us. I don't think that's just me or, or a few of us. I think all of us want to grow up just that little bit more. If that's you today, I'd love to pray with you so we can seek God for deeper wisdom and deeper maturity. Come, let's pray together. Holy Spirit, we ask you this morning that as we have dug into this book, to who Jacob was and why he wrote what he wrote, I pray that you will open this book up to us in a new way, that this letter will begin to influence who we are, what we do, the way that we think, that, Lord, you can grow us up and mature us in your word. You have a beautiful plan for our lives, and it needs us to be mature believers to want to grow up, to want to be more like you. And so today we ask you to do that. Come into our hearts, come into our minds. Remind us that we are secure by your grace. We are made safe. We are saved by your blood alone. But that you also want us to grow up. You want us to impact the world around us. And you're going to do that through us. Not through condemnation, but you're going to do it through us by growing us up maturing us and teaching us how to be wise. So Father, I ask, will you give us wisdom? And especially as we read this book, that Father, we would, we would grow in wisdom every day. I pray for that in Jesus' name. Amen.